This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. This is your host, as always, Jeremy Bergeron. I'm super excited because today I've got a gentleman by the name of Dan Levy. Dan is a luminary in the marketing world. He is the chief marketing officer at a, a maybe a small company you may have heard of called Clear Channel Outdoor, like the biggest gorilla in the out-of-home advertising space. Dan has revolutionized outdoor advertising in the greater New York City area and beyond. His prestigious career, which I hope we get into today, includes some really awesome roles at iconic brands like World Wrestling Entertainment, MTV Asia, Monster Worldwide, to name a few. Dan brings a wealth of experience in driving innovative marketing strategies and embracing technology's role in the evolving media landscapes. Dan, welcome to Marketing Trends. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for the kind introduction and for overselling my impact because I work with a lot of great teams who have done all these things together with me. So I love it. And I want to get into the high-performing team stuff too, because I know we talked about that on the prep call. And and one, one clear thing I know about you to be where you are almost a decade in the seat at Clear Channel is building high-performing teams. You got to be good at that. I already know. So we will get into that. Um, for for those people who just don't know about Clear Channel Outdoor, can you you know double click in and tell tell our audience about the business and kind of your day to day there as CMO? Sure. So Clear Channel Outdoor is one of the largest uh, billboard advertising companies in the world, and we sell everything from traditional roadside billboards to advertising on transit systems. Uh, we're also one of the largest uh, airport advertising companies in the world, and in the U.S., we are the largest. We're in 44 of the top 50 DMAs in the United States. And every week we reach about 130 million Americans. So it's a real scale, high impact business. Um, like you mentioned before, I've been here for eight years in the chief marketing officer role. And it's a combination of the traditional things that a marketing leader would do. So overseeing branding, storytelling, lead generation, comms, creative, things like that, as well as I oversee our approach to building uh, and providing data products to our clients because data and data analytics is a big part of the innovation that we brought to market in the last eight years or so. It just sounds like a lot, Dan. It sounds like the responsibility of, a, I mean, look, this business is a Fortune 1000 brand. You know, it's global at scale. We're talking about a lot, a lot of impact, as you just mentioned. And you're, you know, you're responsible for a lot. So I know back to the the supporting team that's really there making all of this real. But just beyond that, like, how do you manage it, right? As a CMO, how do you manage the stresses and pressures of reporting to the board, you know, publicly traded company, being in charge of a lot, right? Being responsible of developing those that are around you and supporting the business. How do you, Dan Levy, manage it? I mean, I think the key is to have the right people. And I've been here for eight years and a lot of that time has been spent bringing on board people who bring a level of expertise and knowledge, work ethic, creativity, but more importantly, helping them come together as a team is just fundamentally important. So a big chunk of my time is actually spent on the coaching, on the internal conversations, on helping our team members be as successful as they can be. And something that it took me a while in my career to learn how to do, and I still can get better at it, getting the hell out of their way 
so that they have the ability to do what they were hired to do and giving them the ownership, the accountability. And I think for me, my own personal professional development, that was kind of a turning point where I realized that my job wasn't to do the work. My job was to make sure that we had the right people to be able to do the work and then giving them the ability to truly own it. The fact that someone would do it differently than I didn't really matter. What mattered was, are we building a team that can drive the outcomes that we need to get to? Where was that moment for you, that intersection? Because as we mentioned in the you know the intro, I mean, look, you've worked Starting back then in the eighties, Ogilvy and Mather, which is legendary. You know, then you got MTV Asia, you got, you know, Monster Worldwide, you've got some big brands that you've worked with. Where was that moment of time where you're like, wait a second, it's not about being an individual contributor, it's about these people that I get to, you know, attract and retire and bring on. Like, was that at MTV? Did you see that in the earlier day? Like where what did you start to where did that click for you? Yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a great question. And for me personally, so I, I spent five years with MTV in the United States from 90 to 95. And then I moved to Singapore to help launch MTV Asia. And I was the first head of marketing for MTV Asia. And that was the point where I really, truly learned what was required to be a leader because I was responsible for a team that was spread out across 10 markets across Asia. And the reality and the hard learning for me, I didn't, it didn't matter how much I knew about the brand. If we were talking about MTV in Taiwan, I needed to leverage relationships and build relationships with our people on the ground and empower them to do what needed to be done in Taiwan because the culture, the environment, let alone the language, was completely different. And so if you think about the brand that we developed in Taiwan versus what we developed in India versus what we developed in Southeast Asia, it's still built on the core, but it's all about personalizing and localizing that to the markets. And the only way to do that was for me to build trusting relationships with the people on the ground and give them the room to try to fail, to learn, to succeed. And that I think that was the turning point for me. That's amazing. You know, you're, you're talking about, you know, doing something, you know, not, oh, by the way, not in the US, you're talking about in Asia, you know, in a market that, you know, you probably don't, didn't know a lot about, but now you're here responsible for a lot of it, not in, where English is not the, you know, primary language. And maybe the, the localized marketing efforts are a little different and the brand awareness on MTV is a little different. But how how do you build these relationships? Like what's what's your what's your process? Because I know you talked about trust earlier too, and I know without knowing anything about you, you ha- you definitely are able to build badass teams and build trust. But how does Dan Levy build relationships? Because this is something you've cultivated well. I mean, again, it's part of the journey and part of the learning for me personally and professionally. I hope people would say this in a nice way, but. I am not a shy person. I am someone who is always willing to speak my mind and be very direct. And that always was a strength of mine to a degree. And as I got into more leadership roles and started managing bigger teams, I had to learn and embrace the idea that you know speaking wasn't necessarily as important as listening. And especially if you're building trust with your colleagues or business contacts in other countries, or frankly, it's what happens today at Clear Channel Outdoor, I need to make sure that what I'm doing is there to help them succeed. And the best way I can do that isn't to tell them what to do, but to listen and give them guidance and coaching. Sometimes I need to just say, yes, we are doing this or being directive. Mm -hmm. But broadly, the more that I trained myself in my career to listen to trust my colleagues, my team members, to really truly believe, uh, which is so obvious when you say it out loud, they're in the role for a reason. And you need to, as a leader, give them the ability to succeed in that role. There certainly is a pivot like on the, in the continuum for being directive versus being a, a coach, depending on the situation, depending on the person. But by and large, that's been the biggest learning for me in my career. 
it's interesting to me when I hear certain words executives will use or not use, but you said something that was just super key and it may, it may seem, you know, like, like a simple one, but you said listening of, you know, and, and I've noticed that the ones, the folks that I get to interview and connect with on this show, when they flex that listening muscle and they talk about how that's been a superpower for them and their ability to lead and connect with their, their peers. Yes. But also their teams. It's that, that's real interesting skill of listening versus like, always directing and always, you know, being, this is where we're headed and we have to go here. But how do you balance that with, wait a second, I've got some really amazing, talented people supporting me. How do we, you know, play with that? I get bored easily. And what keeps me from getting bored is learning. I have members of my team who have worked at this company for decades. And I have members of my team who are in their late 20s, early 30s. I love the fact that they all bring an expertise, a knowledge, a point of view, a, a view of the business that's different than mine. And so the more that I can learn from them, the better I am at my job and the better we are as a performing team. I want to circle back a little bit to the MTV Asia and then and then even World, World Wrestling Entertainment and just talk about like the things you cultivated there. What what, what are the things you like that are in the, the Dan, you know, toolbox that you're still using today? Certainly, again, being in the role as long as you have, it's impressive to see where the business is, where it's headed, and and to see you there, again, almost a, a decade in the role. Um, MTV Asia specifically, let's take that experience. And you talked about you know being in Asia and living in Singapore. But in terms of just uh, cultivating a skill or cultivating leadership or, or just something in that arena, what did you draw from at MTV Asia? And then same question for World Wrestling Entertainment. The experiences were so different on so many levels. Uh, I think when I think back to my experience with uh, MTV in Asia, there's so much great about uh, the time that I had at MTV and what I learned there. Uh, they weren't a company that put a lot of emphasis into training you when you were going into uh, uh, an international role or an expat role. And so I still remember I flew into Singapore on, I think it was April 4th. And April 5th, I got on a plane and flew to Jakarta. And honestly, I didn't know where Jakarta was. Like I, I was dropped into the region and had to figure things out. And wow. you make a lot of mistakes. You lean on the people locally who know the markets, who have more experience than you. You figure things out along the way. And I think from, from my perspective, that made me a, a whole lot more scrappy, but also someone who was willing to kind of roll up my sleeves and do a lot of uh, heavy lifting on things that just no one had thought of. I'll give you a good example. We, you know, within a month or two, maybe three months, after moving there and launching, there was a massive disruption in uh, Asia. There was a currency devaluation that happened across uh, most of the markets in Asia. And suddenly, the economics and the business plan were completely thrown out the door. We had very clear ideas of what we were going to do, what the sequencing was, how we're going to build the business. And suddenly, we had to figure it out from the ground up. And I was, again, very fortunate that I was part of a team, a team that was a blend of people that, like me, had experience with MTV as a business and a brand, but also a lot of people who had on the ground experience, experience of running international, multinational businesses. So I was able to learn on the job, learn by doing. And a whole lot of that was figured out. We, we got to a point where we were getting ready to launch in India. And we didn't really have a, a, a legal business structure in India. So we had to basically identify someone who was going to be the point person to drive the launch. And for us, the launch, I'm not talking about the technical side of it, the satellite delivery and all that. I was talking about the brand launch. And, and so I remember sitting in the boardroom in Singapore, the leadership team all sitting around the table and the CEO at the time said, so we're moving forward with India. Someone's got to run point at this. 
And I was sitting at the end of the table and I remember every face sort of turned and looked at me. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm willing to do that. And I basically spent months living wow. in India, uh, not living in a hotel and coming back to Singapore every now and then to see my family. But it was such a great experience and an opportunity to learn from the ground up. I knew nothing about doing business in India. Now, fortunately, I had colleagues at, who had, and we had people on the ground to start building that business. But that kind of a approach to, to learning in such a different environment, I think, was really uh, transformative for me, certainly yeah. in my career. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the the resilience you cultivated, the scrappiness you cultivated. And I love that choice point, that moment that you remember like yesterday in the boardroom where it's like, who gets to go? And you're like, and everyone looks at Dan and like that moment in time where you could have just, you could have sat there and just looked right back, right? And maybe someone else raises their hand and then the trajectory of their career goes that way, right? But something in you was like, okay, like I'm being, like I say yes, but you're saying yes to being uncomfortable. You're saying yes to going through, you know, you're literally parachuting into a space. Yeah, you have support, but it's also it's still you going there and not having a ton of like context to to bring. So you're saying yes to being uncomfortable. You're saying yes to the unknown. And I get curious about that for you. It's like, where does that come from? Was that just even early like childhood where you're like, no, I was the guy jumping off and, you know, figuring it out on the way down. Cause you seem to kind of have that no, that was never me as a kid. Okay. That was never me growing up. I'm not someone who uh, is comfortable putting myself at the center of the story when my story involves so many other people and so many other situations and so much support. So I appreciate everything that you're saying because it's, it's very kind and it's a very positive way of looking at my career. But the way that I look back at the experience that I had uh, with MTV Asia in Singapore, for example, I look at that as being unbelievably fortunate to have had that opportunity. And, you know, my son was born in Singapore. Wow. Uh, my wife and I traveled around the world in a way that we never would have had the opportunity to do without having that career opportunity. The fact that I learned so much and was able to figure out parts of me that I maybe didn't realize were there or I hadn't leaned into in that way, that to me was just a, a bonus. But it was never something that was inherently part of how I grew up. I was never the I was never the guy who was going to go skydiving, even though years later I did. And I think I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't had that kind of risk-taking experience. I love it. And then, so a couple of years go by, you were there, you were there for five, over five years on MTV, MTV Asia. And then, you know, a couple uh, years go by and you end up at world wrestling entertainment. You were there for a few years. What about that experience? What, what was that even like as a, you know, from a brand marketer perspective, you were responsible for quite a bit there. I saw on your, on your background. And then again, what did you, did you draw from that experience? Super interesting. I was never a wrestling fan growing up. I'm a huge sports fan, huge okay. entertainment junkie. I just, wrestling was never part of the world that I was around because my, my dad wasn't into it. And most people become wrestling fans either because of your father, your brother, or some other family member introduced yep. you to it. And that just wasn't the household I grew up in. I was recruited to join. I learned a tremendous, tremendous amount. Working for someone like Vince McMahon is one of those like once in a career opportunities to learn from someone who was just truly unique in the space and had built such an amazing brand, amazing business. I grew to have such an appreciation for the product, for the talent, but I think more importantly for the fans. I love telling this story. I hope my wife is okay with me telling this, but uh, back in the day, my wife was a big Bruce Springsteen fan. And so we used to travel around the country going to see Bruce Springsteen shows. And I brought her to her first wrestling show. 
And about an hour into the evening, she's looking around and she says to me, I figured it out. This is their Springsteen. And I love that story because the reality is everybody has passions and everybody has things that they love in the world. And whether you like professional wrestling or not, whether you like sports or not, whether that's your uh, thing that you're into or not, for those fans, this was their thing and they're passionate about it. And it's a lifelong passion. And that was the point working at wrestling where it really clicked for me. And then that helped me do my job more effectively because I, and this is so obvious when you say it out loud, but having that empathy and being able to understand the audience is critical if I was going to do my job, which is to help engage that audience with the product, the talent, the programming, all of that. It really was an amazing experience. I don't think I'd ever want to go back there. An incredibly, incredibly difficult company to work at. Because if you think about it, there's no off season. There's oh, no weekends. Yeah. Good point. They, okay. They have live events throughout the week. They shoot television events. Uh, throughout the week, there's never any downtime. It's an extraordinarily difficult job and a difficult wow. company to work at. Um, and the work ethic of the people and coming from Vince all the way down is just mind boggling. I've never experienced anything like that before. I was going to ask you about that because you, you have the persona of Vic's, you know, Vince McMahon, of course, he's a legendary you know, character has been around for as, as long as I've been around. I'm in my 40s now and I've known this guy since I was a kid, right? So what was it like, yeah, interacting with him, engaging with him, you know, behind the scenes, building a massive brand like, you know, WWE? I mean, WWE is uh, like probably the perfect example of what I was saying before about I was one person, one part of a team that did that. Vince, Linda, the family, the talent, they're the ones that built that business. Mm -hmm. And I jumped into it at a point in time. It was fortunate to be able to be there for four years. Vince, like, what's the saying that you know, people, he's forgotten more about the business than I would ever learn? Like, there was mm -hmm. just so much depth of knowledge and reflexive understanding of the fan base, the talent, the storyline. So that was a huge, huge learning for me. Working with the talent was something that I had to learn as well. Um, how do you work with them? What do they do? Yeah. One, of the, one of the cool things about so much of the talent is they also understood the fans and they prioritized the fans. And so I remember doing autograph sessions at events where I'd be with the talent and there'd be a line of people out the door and they would not leave until every person was taken care of. Every fan was able to spend it the, because they waited there. They came out and they, without the fans, they had no business. Wow. Um, so it was, it was a really great learning experience for sure. Incredible. Incredible. I, I, I got to hear about Monster as well, just so I know you were there and it's such a, a big brand. Maybe is there a couple kind of takeaways from your experience there um, and the things you got exposed to, things you got to you know cultivate while you were at Monster? And then let's get into Clear Channel. So Monster was a moment in time for me. I was leaving wrestling and I saw in my career that I needed to get more digital experience. I needed to really focus on the digital side of the house for me. And so there was an opportunity to join Monster to be their head of marketing for their ad-supported businesses. So the primary revenue was around recruiting, but they had about a half a dozen websites that were all monetized through advertising. And so I was hired to pull that all together into one cohesive unit and have a, a strategy behind how do you maximize revenue and the kind of interpollination of each uh, website against the other. How do you build uh, a relationship with college students, bring them into the platform, help them develop internships, create opportunities for them to then join the working world, that kind of a thing. And what I didn't realize was how um, challenging of a culture it was and a company at that point. Monster, when it was originally founded, there was a massive innovation, which was how do you take classified ads and turn that into a digital experience? 
Mm. And the challenge was there were when I got there, there were a whole lot of issues with the product itself and the way that the brand had built out those solutions. So it turned into first six months or so building the business and the last six months or so dismantling the business. So wow. restructuring the global marketing organization with my counterparts on the recruiting side, and then basically restructuring myself out of a job is how it ended. Okay. However, I think back on that, and that was the first time I really had an experience and started learning about demand creation, lead generation. Arbitrage was a key part of our marketing where we were able to acquire audiences at a rate that we could then monetize them so that it was profitable traffic we were coming. I had no experience doing any of that before I got there. So to me, I look at that as a challenging experience, but again, from a learning standpoint, the foundation of everything that I've done since then around regeneration and digital marketing. Every, yeah, every point, it seems like every point was such a stepping stone, you know, for you, right? It's such a, such a moment in time where, you know, a a single conversation or a single opportunity, you know, that led, you know, down the road for you. And then around 2015 or so, I think you end up at Clear Channel. Yeah. Talk about that opportunity because I know you mentioned on the prep call. I want to hear about that because again, you've been there through a ton of innovation, and it's, and I feel like if I think about your you know the past eight plus years you've been there, like how fast we're moving now has got to be very interesting to you. But talk about the beginning and, and like how how it the opportunity got to you and what you thought about it and kind of walk us through that a little bit. I love telling the story. So I was running a consulting business for a year or so before that. And I was really enjoying it. I had about eight or nine clients, had me exposed to so many different aspects of uh, the, the advertising, media, ad tech business. I was learning a lot. I was loving the flexibility of being able to work from home. And my son was still at home, so spending more time with him and my wife. Oh, that was great. And I got a call from a recruiter saying, Clear Channel Outdoors, looking for a new CMO. And I initially turned down the interview because I didn't want to be a billboard marketing guy at that point. I was moving in a very different direction. And I'm so thankful and so appreciative that the recruiter did what you want a recruiter to do, which is say, what's the harm? Take a meeting. And so I came in and met our CEO, my boss of the last eight years. And I learned what his vision was for the business and where we were trying to go as a business. And what he was looking for wasn't just someone to run the marketing organization, but someone to help drive that innovation and drive that change. It was about building on the unbelievable power of out of home and the legacy. And I mean that in a good way, the legacy of out of home as an impactful creative medium, but bringing a digital orientation to that, reinventing the world's oldest advertising medium as one that compete in the digital era that we're in. And that's when it really sparked for me because that idea of being part of that vision and that strategy that he had put in place, being able to contribute to be able to drive innovation in a way that I hadn't done before, that's what really sparked my interest. And I'm so thankful that I've been here and I've had the opportunity because we've done a ton of really, really innovative work. One of my favorite things over the years that I've been here is sitting with a client, sitting with a CMO of an advertising company and having them say to me, wow, I had no idea. Because everyone knows what a billboard is. Everyone knows what out-of-home advertising is. But some of the things that we brought to market, marketers just didn't understand that those are actually capabilities. And importantly, so much of those capabilities are about building on the legacy value of out of home, creative impact, scale, reach, all of that, but doing it in a way that allows us to participate with digital because we've brought data solutions, analytic solutions to market that allow us to connect the audiences that we reach to the audiences that are reaching across other channels. So 
what was it in that in that conversation? Because clearly something, I mean, at first it was like, no, not interested. Then you were like, okay, I'll have a conversation. But do you remember that conversation? Like what are some of the things that like that, that he said that, that really drew you in and, and made you be like, oh, wait a second. Like, yeah, let's talk about that. That sounds super interesting. So it's, it actually gets to something that I, I love about this company and I've really never experienced in my career before. I'm used to working at, with the exception of MTV and WWE, it's mostly been smaller to mid-sized companies. And at smaller to mid-sized companies, many of them venture-backed, many of them early stage, your strategies tend to pivot relatively quickly. Mm. I saw so clearly when I met with Scott for the first time that he had a vision and there were strategies that we were already going down that path to be able to do that kind of digital reinvention. And one of the things I love about that is eight years in, we haven't really pivoted from those core strategies. We are still about bringing to marketers the ability to work with us to access our audiences and to understand the impact of our advertising in a way that they're used to from other digital media, but without all the problems of digital media. We don't have fraud issues. We don't have bots. We don't have issues. It's so funny. One of my colleagues talks about, you know, know, in the industry, a lot of talk right now about made-for-advertising websites, basically junk content made to capture programmatic activity. And my colleague, he actually runs our programmatic business, pointed out that we are actually made for advertising, but in a good way. That's all we do is we provide a canvas to advertisers to be able to deliver their message. And what Scott helped me understand when I was interviewing and now what we've been implementing for the last eight years is helping them do that better, more efficiently and leveraging the tools that they want to use and doing it in a way that takes out home maybe away from the silo that we've always lived on, lived in, sort of off to the side as a very unique, different medium to now be part of the discussion and part of the digital ecosystem. Yeah, in a very real way too. Yeah, absolutely. In the context of outdoor advertising, how does Clear Channel like craft compelling stories, right? What, what distinguishes a successful outdoor campaign storytelling? I mean, there is certainly variances by the client. Some some brands use us just purely for top of the funnel reach and brand awareness. Others have realized that we uh, perform mid and lower funnel. So we have different discussions with different clients about what their KPIs are and ultimately how we can contribute to that. But at the end of the day, what we've been trying to do is change the traditional approach to out of home. Most brands, not all, but most brands have either taken uh, an approach of out of home is something you use tactically and transactionally. I have a new product launch, so I'm going to run billboards for a month to say we got this new product and then we go away and do something else or persistently. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, for example, that most Apple billboards are in the same location. They have long-term contracts because they've realized that those we refer to them as perms or long-term contracts okay. where they realize that this is the best location for them and they don't want anyone else to have their message there. So it's either been short-term or long-term. What we haven't done is participated in the performance marketing culture that's built up over the last 20 years. Mm. And that's what we've opened the door to with what we've brought to market in terms of our data products and our data solutions, where we now have the ability to not just help people with that top of the funnel reach and awareness, but we dive deeper and we provide the solutions for them to understand, did we actually drive conversions? And not just people visiting your store, but digital conversions, app downloads, app usage, TV viewing. All of these are things that we've solved for for the last eight years by building out. We, we have a data platform that we call Radar. And basically, Radar leverages primarily mobile location data to understand where people go and what they do in the physical world and the role that out-of-home plays in influencing those behaviors. 
And we've been able to do that with so many brands. So now we have brands that, yes, they use us for product launches and they, yes, they use us for uh, reach and brand building and all that. And they also use us to drive transactions, tune in, actual online conversions. So it's really exciting the progress we've made there. Attribution. What is what is the relationship you have with attribution these days, right? Now we're about to finish 2023. There's so much in the in the field about this and I'm just curious as someone who is again bringing an old industry into the, you know, the century that we're in now and moving forward. Like how do you how do you have that conversation with yourself, with your team, with your customers attribution? So it's been a journey. And you know, the journey started with basically most marketers believing that out of home you can't measure the results. Right. Other than, you know, the small business owner whose customers come in and say, "Hey, I saw your billboard on the highway. I love that." Right? So we went from it's not measurable to initially focusing on, well, we're going to prove to you that it works. So we actually have a product we call Radar Proof. That's our suite of attribution solutions. And it started with being able to basically say to a marketer, we're going to demonstrate to you that it actually did work. And we did that through, you know, brand surveys and what we call visit studies. So, you know, did the McDonald's that advertises with us uh, see more traffic going to the stores and all, and all that is great. And it was an important first step to being able to answer that question, did it work or not? And I'm, I'm really excited and proud of the work that our team has done because we moved so far away from that to now, we know it works. We know out of home drivers results. Our focus is on helping our marketers understand why and how they can improve performance. It's about optimization as opposed to proof that it works. And so we have a product that we refer to as our uh, in-flight insights, where most attribution work in the out-of-home space is typically done by the campaign runs, and then four to eight weeks after the end of the campaign, the media company or the measurement company comes back to the client with a PowerPoint presentation to say, look how good it performed. This is great. What we're doing now is persistent measurement. And what we have the ability to do is provide our clients today with weekly updates, we're trying to move that to even more frequent. But right now we're at weekly where we can literally have optimization discussions with clients. We could talk to them about the performance that we're measuring and what we're seeing and what we're gleaning from the analysis of the data to be able to come back and say, this is working really well. Let's talk about if you did this, how that could drive even better performance. Now that could be around the creative and the messaging. That could be just around recognizing the audiences that are most likely to convert, to actually respond. Having the ability to go from attribution to optimization has been part of the vision from the beginning. And we're there and we have room to go, but we're already there. What about AI? How has that impacted the, the space you're in? I know we talked a little bit about it, but I know let's get into it because I, I think it's so interesting. I want to hear just firstly, how has it impacted the industry? Uh, the biggest impact is we're all talking about it and no one quite knows what, what to do with it, I, I think. Um, you know, there's a lot of our business that already had been leveraging AI, uh, mostly back office stuff. Where we're seeing the most immediate impact from my team and our business is on the creative side. We're a big uh, user of the Adobe uh, Creative Suite. And Adobe has integrated a product called Firefly into their platform that basically in a closed environment, and I'll get back to that in a second, uh, why that matters. But in a closed environment, it allows our creative teams uh, to be more nimble, to move faster, but also to do things that maybe they wouldn't be able to do on their own. For example, some of our creatives have done some really cool work with AI where uh, we, have a, we have local clients who are looking for, uh, 
we refer to as spec art, so speculative artwork. Basically, they've never bought billboards before. Help us with what our messaging should be. Mm. And some of our creatives have been using AI tools to be able to create custom fonts where the actual words, the letters used on the billboard are not just flat letters, but reflect the business that's being advertised. We're doing work where they're able to take visuals and images and compile them together in ways that wouldn't be possible if it was just a graphic designer doing the photo or touching on their own, to be able to come up with new ways of visualizing a customer's brand or their logo or things like that. So on the creative side, we're doing that at scale, and it's really, really opening the door to better creative, more engaged creative teams. But more than that, some of the manual work the creatives have to do, it makes it easier to get past that so our creatives can focus on being creative and focusing on ideation. What's the most impressive thing you've seen on on that side in terms of uh, AI supporting creative or some aspect of the business? Like what's something where you're like, oh yeah, this is impressive? Uh, I I think it's what I referenced before, the approach to topography and and creation of fonts. That's just something that typically you work with existing fonts Uh or you have to do a tremendous amount of custom creative to design your own font. And our team's just, we're not resourced to design our own fonts. Got it. Now we are. Now we can actually do that kind of work, which is, is pretty cool. How about you just as a CMO, how are you using AI in any way just in your role? You know, the way that I look at it, I don't think AI can or will ever replace the people that I have on my team and the skill set that they have, the expertise that they have. I think what it can do is help them be more efficient. You know, I've I've talked to our our head of corporate communications about he and his team bring so much value in terms of being able to tell our story externally, whether that's through you know press releases or media relations or whatever, to work with our customers, to work with our partners. And that's all stuff that's driven by their, their knowledge, their experience. And there's other things that they need to do that are also important, but not as high value add, internal newsletters, things like that. So we've talked about, could we use uh, generative AI platforms to maybe come up with a first draft of an internal newsletter, not the final, but a starting point. Can that save us 20% of the work that would go into that? Because if we save in 20% of the work that goes into that, the 20% of the time that you saved can go into the other more high value things. So those are the kind of things that are, I think, impacting us right now. But honestly, I don't have time most days, most weeks to think about anything other than the business that's right in front of us. So it's something that I think about that I play with on my like personal time, you know, planning vacations and sure. like finding, you know, recommendations of restaurants and things like that. All that is really is souped up search. Mm-hmm. It's not really mm-hmm. truly the future of where we think things can go with AI. Right now for my world, it's mostly about the creative side. Wow. Uh, make, it makes sense. It seems like, and I think I, I would agree with you in that, you know, it's it's there are gonna I think it's gonna upskill uh, certain people maybe certain roles m- quicker than others or creative or you know content things like that where I feel like the the velocity at which you can come up with something really compelling is certainly there and you're right where we're headed we'll, we'll, I think everyone's best guess is where we'll be you know so I'll give you another example and we're we're not doing this yet but we've done some initial experimentation some work on this one of our data products is called Radar View it's a planning platform think of a map based interface with a UI down the left to basically be able to build custom billboard plans based on location, proximity to to various points of interest, demographic audiences, behavioral audiences, over 4,500 audiences that you can use to plan your campaigns. And we've started down a path of exploring, well, 
that's a little complicated for some of our team members. 4,500 audiences, where do you start? And so what we've started experimenting with is if we were able to integrate the platform on top of an AI engine, can we make the, the interface less about selecting and more about natural language? Can we make it about my client is Starbucks? Well, you don't have to explain to AI what Starbucks is, who they're trying to reach, what their business is, right? Find the best billboards in Miami, Philadelphia, and Los Angeles to reach Starbucks customers within three miles of Starbucks stores. That's a sentence that someone could say out loud, and then the platform can come back with the answers. Right now, they have to select four markets, they have to select Starbucks mm-hmm. stores, they have to put in there within three miles, and they have to pick the audiences. That, to me, is something over the next couple of years I would expect to see. It doesn't take away from what our teams do. It makes it easier for our sales teams and our marketing teams to use the platform and find the right solutions because we're making it easier for them to just put in the kind of language they would use if they were asking our head of research to make a recommendation as opposed wow. to you know using the UI that's built into the platform. Is there a big like ABM focus or part of the business? We are very, very focused on B2B marketing. Mm-hmm. And as a marketing organization, we're not at the point yet where we can really truly embrace ABM. Interesting, okay. So when I interviewed originally with Scott, one of the things that I said to him is I want marketing to be a profit center, not a cost center. And traditionally, marketing a bit of cost center. We have been sales support, research, things like that. And I'm really, really excited that five years ago, so it took us a while to get there, and this is really, truly driven by hiring the right people. Our marketing team now is completely different than the marketing team when I got here. And some of the people in other areas are the same, but the people who do the marketing, the lead generation, joined the company in the last three or four years. And when we had the right people in place, And then when they were empowered to do the work that they were capable of doing, they were able to do what I wanted to do from the beginning, which is start bringing in leads at scale. And we now have an unbelievably high performing lead generation approach where my marketing team, and I I hate referring to it that way because it makes it seem like it's it's them that are doing it. They are the ones that build (laughs) it, they're the ones that drive this. But we're actually driving demand and monetizing leads in ways that we never were before. And that's primarily coming from search. I was going to ask if you could share yeah, how, maybe how or examples. Yeah. Well, so one of the things I like to think about is um, we could hire a thousand more salespeople and we never get to cover every small business that's out there, right? There are so many small businesses that could benefit from using billboards and we've got a great sales organization, but they never could get to everyone. And so what search does for us is it identifies the need before our salesperson is aware that someone has that need. And so search is an unbelievably effective tool for us because there are so many marketers who, you know, drive from their home to their office and see these billboards along the highway and see the brands that are on there and go, I wonder how much it costs to buy a billboard. Well, they go to Google and say, how much do billboards cost in San Francisco? And what we are able to do is quickly respond to that to be able to say, we, we can help you with that. And so now we generate a tremendous amount of annual revenue coming simply from recognizing that there's demand out there that's most efficiently captured by letting them send us the signal that they want to talk versus us cold calling them. We're still cold calling. We're still doing the outbounds. But the inbounds now have so much more value for us. And when you say search, you're saying paid paid and organic both? Yeah. So uh, the same team that's crutching it on the lead generation also rebuilt our website in the last year. And so our old website, I used to 
love to joke it was a fantastic website for 1998. It was <laughs> loaded brochureware. It was a website that seemed to have been created by people who thought that the goal was to give visitors as much information as they need without them wanting to yep. talk to a human being. Yep. Right Now we've got a lead funnel. Now we've got a mm. website that was built to be able to capture organic leads. And so the organic traffic we're seeing coming to the site combined with the paid search activity is really truly scaling in terms of the revenue. All this, by the way, is going back to your question about ABM. Right now, we're not at the point to take an even more in-depth, more robust approach to that because right now we're, we're just, we're capturing the activity and working with our sales teams to make sure wow. that we're converting as much of that as possible. It's incredible. I mean, yeah. To really start to get a glimpse of like what has been built there and and which also still it still positions you to take on more and like and move really quickly because of this team that's that's supporting i also know that clear channel is big on the corporate social responsibility front right this is a brand that has a commitment to corporate social responsibility and i want to spend some time talking about just some of the initiatives you're excited about maybe some recent things or things in the past but let's talk about that because it's super important especially these days yeah, and I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, so if you think about it, advertising uh, billboards are the, the, real, the only advertising format that's literally a part of the community, right? You see the billboards, whether you advertise, whether you care about them or not, they're part of the world that you live in, that you work in. And so as a company, we really prioritize making sure that we're good corporate citizens, that we're not just extracting money from a market, but we're really truly giving back and contributing in ways that make the world a better place. We have specific causes that we commit to. So we're not a company that does a lot of, hey, can you give us free billboards? We like to partner, we like to collaborate, and we like to activate. And so there's certain causes that we've maintained a focus on for six, 10 years, more than that in some cases, that we really believe are the things that matter to our team members, to our customers, to the communities we operate in. Um, education, safety, creativity in the arts. Um, and especially over the last few years, we've really rallied around kids as something that matters to us. We've had um, a couple of partnerships for years. One of them is an organization called the National Summer Learning Association, uh, which in full disclosure, I'm on the board for the last seven years. I saw that, um, yes. So NSLA is focused on, uh, I think your kids maybe are a little too young for this, but I remember this vividly when my son was younger. There's something called the Summer Slide. Kids go to school in the United States for nine months to learn. And then for three months in the summer, they forget everything. And then you send it back and they try and start over again. And for uh, people primarily in uh, socioeconomic situations where either their family can't afford or don't have the ability to send them to uh, programs in the summer to keep them engaged, keep them learning, whether that's schools, sports, coding classes, whatever, maybe summer camp, they fall further behind. And that opportunity gap that happens in the summer, there's 30 years of research that proves that summer engagement and summer education closes that gap. And so we work with NSLA to help them tell that story, but we also activate with them. We ran a program uh, for them last summer to drive people to their website. It's called discoversummer.org, where we connected 300,000 families with a resource to find affordable summer programs for the kids. And so we've had that partnership for years. First year of the pandemic, I remember it was like November, the time of year where we started thinking about you know, holiday gifts for our clients. And it just didn't feel like the year where sending presents to the client was the right way to do it. And so I had a quick conversation with uh, the senior leadership team 
And we decided to focus instead on CSR and charitable giving as our message for the holidays. And so we reached out to an organization called No Kid Hungry. And within two weeks, we had a partnership that we still maintain to this day, where we focused our holiday efforts around making sure that if you're in a situation where your kids don't have the food that they need, we're going to help you find help. And if you're in a situation where you don't have that problem and you want to help, we're going to help you understand how you can donate and contribute. And now we've added to that in the last year with a partnership that we just announced with Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America, where we're now a a real strong collaborative partner with them. And so if you think about education, nutrition, safety, mentorship, without those four, it's really hard for kids to succeed in the world. And what we've been doing now is not just supporting these causes but bringing them together to cross-pollinate those relationships, to be able to have more support across those relationships so we can make greater impact overall in the marketplace. That's exciting. Of course, the the dad in me is like, yes, you know, root, rooting, you know, rooting everyone there at, at Clear Channel just for supporting, you know, children in very like strategic, meaningful ways. It's amazing. Um, what what advice do you have for, you know, other companies, other brands looking to enhance their corporate social responsibility efforts and, and community engagement? Be serious about it. It's not window dressing. Mm. If you're going to commit to it, you got to commit to it. Um, we get lots of inbound requests for free advertising, and they're all really good causes. And we typically don't do that, or we do it at a small scale. I think it's so important for the support for CSR to come from the top of the organization and be supported in ways that you can maintain and build and grow these relationships and the impact. And I, I don't separate the thinking between the for-profit side of our business and the CSR side, that the two work together. We've been able to build revenue opportunities around CSR by connecting paying advertisers with some of these causes to help supercharge our ability to drive that impact in the marketplace. We've been able to work with some nonprofits where they wanted to run a bigger campaign that we were able to provide pro bono and work with them for them to take that opportunity to funders to be able to get them to bring budget. So we had that combination of the paid advertising from the funder combined with our in-kind support allowed us to drive so much more impact. So I think it just has to be part of your DNA to really truly make it work at scale. That's huge. I wanna hear about the executive leadership team and just the, how would you describe the culture of the ELT? So one of the things that I love is our senior leadership team has pretty much been the same team now stable for about seven years, which is unheard of in my career. How many people is that? About 12 or so. Wow. Um, And again, credit to Scott for the way that he leads the company, but also I I really like my colleagues and I really like the collaborative culture that we have here. And we are transparent. We will fight it out. We will talk openly about things, but there are people on this leadership team who have a depth of knowledge and a depth of experience. I I said before that I get bored easily. One of the reasons I'm still here is I'm still learning. There are people that have so much experience in this space that I'm still learning how it works and what matters and what doesn't matter. And we're able to work through things, I think, in ways that are collaborative and positive. We, We have a lot of meetings. We like meetings. We like conversations. We like Zooms, all that. But I do think it's critical. I mentioned before, alignment is one of those words we I use a lot. We use a lot it's really important, especially since we are a matrix organization. So we've got 28 markets and we've got an airports division that run their business day to day. Senior leadership team 
can't be so in the weeds and in their shorts that they're not right. able to do their job. So finding right. that balance is something that we all work together on as well. Is everybody in the ELT located in the same space? No, no. Sp- we, spread out. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Again, like it's just it's I'm I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised. Of course, hearing like the stuff you, you've been sharing, you know, in the past almost hour we've been chatting of like some of the the things that you know Clear Channel is doing. It's like, and then then you say, yeah, most of the ELT has been there for almost a decade. Like that's huge, super rare for that. For I think I've run across that maybe once I think of one organization where there was like several folks that were, had been there for longer than you know five years so incredible the collaboration the speed of trust that exists there with you and the elt is clear it's like yeah we trust each other we you know and you're moving and you're also moving with acceleration and you seem to have this relationship with actually getting results too which is interesting and beautiful okay dan let's jump into the lightning round one of my most favorite parts about this about this conversations is that we can you know also figure out some interesting things that you get to do and experience in your world so in the lightning round i'm going to go through these pretty pretty quickly just answer you know with the gut with the heart don't think too much and we'll see what where we end up you ready cool okay first one is um what is the funniest slash most interesting thing you've ever witnessed during a zoom meeting i I don't know if it's funny, but I do think back to the beginning of the pandemic and, you know, our business was highly disrupted. Uh, Think about it. Our business is out of home and federal, state and local government officials were all saying, stay in your home. So there was a tremendous amount of pressure and which meant people were working really long hours. So seeing people falling asleep on a Zoom was kind of awkward. I remember that, but nothing outrageous and certainly nothing controversial. Okay. What is your, I'm very curious about this one for you and, and it could be either business or marketing, but what's your least favorite business buzzword or marketing or, and marketing buzzword? I thought about this for a while. I think it's digital. I think digital is one of those words that has completely lost meaning. Let's all agree that the world <laughs> is digital in every way, shape and form, right? So let's not make that a buzzword. Let's not make that a distinct It's all digital. I just, I, but people love talking about that. Is oh. it digital or is it static or traditional or whatever? It's all digital. That's good. No one has mentioned, no one said that one. Hillary knows this. No one said digital. As many times you've asked that question, you're the first one, which cool. I, that's great. Um, what is the best kind of team building exercise you've ever employed? And do you still use it? Sometimes drives my team members nuts. Radical candor is my go-to. Mm. I came up and had a lot of career experiences where I was asked to bridge gaps between team members, coach people and out of it. And the best way that I've been able to handle it is let's just sit down and talk it out. And if I need to, we're going to lock ourselves in a room and we're going to hash this stuff out until we are at a better point. And one of the things that I've learned, not everyone's comfortable with that, but it is the culture that I have and the culture that I like to maintain. I would rather people be transparent with each other, be direct with each other. I hate passive aggressive behavior, especially in the works, uh, workplace. So mm. just let's talk it out. Radical candor it always works. I love that. What's the first thing you thought about this morning? Uh, other than am I ready for this conversation? <laughs> I don't know if I'm weird or other people have this. Unless I'm having a conversation or actively doing things, my entire life I've always had music in my head. I have songs that oh. go through my head. And so typically when I wake up, I hear a song. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. Maybe it's what I listened to last night, whatever. But okay. I hear a song, I hear a lyric going through my head, and then I'm up because I can't turn it off. My brain's. What, what, what was the song this morning? 
I think it was a song actually from Hamilton. My wife and I watched wow. Hamilton over the weekend again for like the 20th time. And I think it was one of the songs from Hamilton. Oh, okay. Okay. So this next question, I, I've asked this one a lot. And this one, you're, this is probably, you're probably the, you know, one of the only people that I've very, I mean, I love hearing everyone's answer, but because of the business that you're in and the nature of the work that you do, I'm really curious about this one. And that is, if you could use marketing, you know, and you know, if you could have a, a billboard around the world, what would, what would Dan Levy's billboard say? Uh, I am a glass half full person. I'm an eternal optimist. And I'm so frustrated and a little bit scared with how partisan the world has become and how everything is us versus them. You disagree with me, therefore you're the enemy and you're wrong. If I could have the best copywriters and the best designers work with me on that, a campaign to focus on just bridging those gaps and fighting that partisanship, I just, I'm, I'm really nervous for the next 50 years where we're going and I'd love to be able to do something to help on that. Uh, I join you in that one. That's great. Um, what would be the title of your unauthorized biography? I like this one. This is what I came up with. Uh, take a breath. Mm. I like to talk. I'm a very vocal person. I just come at things with energy. I'm the person. I used to work with someone who said, you know, no one on their deathbed ever says, I wish I would spend more time at work. I've always been that person who just drives, 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 and then focus on work and Probably need to take a breath every now and then. Love it. Okay. What is the best piece of business advice or one of the best pieces of business advice you've ever received? This came from a recruiter friend of mine at a point when I was transitioning from one job to find what the next job was. And I remember she asked me, like, I hadn't seen her in a couple of years. So what you been up to? Tell me your story. And I started telling her my career story sequentially, like I always did. I started on the agency side, then went to MTV. She said, stop, 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 stop. Nobody cares what you've done. They care what you're going to do for them. And so that was so instrumental for me to do something that I find is common amongst marketers. You know, as a marketer, you spend all of your time coming up with stories and positioning. And then when you talk about your own career, you say, well, I did this, I did this, I did this. Find your story. Come up with your story. What's your value proposition? And I, as soon as I got that advice and really forced myself to do the, the work on that, it became so much clearer to me who I was and what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. Wow, I love it. Okay, finally, what's one thing you're going to do in the next 12 months that you've never done before? I'm going to be going to Antarctica. Mic drop, mic drop. You're going to be going to Antarctica? My wife and I celebrated our 30th anniversary about a month ago, and we decided to, it had been a while since we lived in Asia and did a lot of adventure travel and things like that. She's a photographer, so we just, we wanted to do something that, we'd never done and probably will never have a chance to do again. So we're going on a cruise to Antarctica. Wow. Okay. Well, we got to follow up after that one because I have a lot of questions about this mysterious place called Antarctica. <laughs> um, Dan, this has been exceptional. I mean, you're the trajectory of kind of where you've been, where you're at, where you're headed, you know, the just the the humble nature that you have and, and how you, you always deflect back to the team and back to the people who have supported you. And I just love that about you. And I also know that you carry a big stick and that you're incredibly smart and that you're not afraid to roll your sleeves up and dive into the trenches in an in industry, in a space that 
is super interesting and moving very fast. So thanks for being a part of our audience and our conversation today. And we're rooting for you and the whole, you know, whole, whole squad there at Clear Channel. And thanks just for being a part of Marketing Trends. This was exceptional. I appreciate the opportunity. It's really great to, to speak with you. And I appreciate how kind you've been in the way that you're characterizing the things that I've done. I feel very fortunate to be where I am. Thank you for checking out another episode of Business Insights and Inspiration on Marketing Trends. If you liked what you heard and are interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of marketing experts, reach out to info at mission.org to get the conversation started.